All right. Uh, let's take our Bibles. And uh, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 4. Our text for this morning is verses 8 through 16. And as you're turning there, I just want to uh, um, say, uh, there's some new folks, I've been trying to say this week after week, new folks in the room, I'm, uh, I'd love to be able to meet with you, meet you, meet you. Uh, if, if we have not met, please, would you give me that privilege of, of saying hello this morning? Love to, love to just uh, greet you uh, before you leave today. So glad you're here. All right, let's, uh, let's look at the scriptures. Genesis chapter 4, if you're using the church Bible, there's lots of those around the room. Page 3 is where it begins. Now what precedes uh, what we're going to pick up in verse 8 is uh, Cain and Abel brought offerings to the Lord. Abel's was accepted. Cain's was not. And we dealt with that last time. And we see what happens in the aftermath of this. Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your blood brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is God's word. Would you join me in a prayer? Lord Jesus, you prayed that we would be sanctified, set apart by your truth, the very truth of your word. And Lord, as we, with our minds and our ears and our hearts, attend to this now, we know that we need divine help. The preacher cannot accomplish anything of eternal and lasting value. But your word has power. And so we pray, Father, that by your spirit you would plant it in our hearts and produce that good sanctifying work that you seek to do in us. So give us attentiveness. Give us an expectancy that we're going to hear from you in spite of a mere man standing here. Lord, help us to long for the voice of of God. And we pray it that Jesus ultimately may be glorified. Amen. Well, years ago, I guess many years ago now, uh, when I was a high school and um, university student, I worked summers in an auto assembly plant. It was a really good paying job. 
uh, in part because it was a unionized environment, and so the wages were controlled by the union. But one thing I discovered, and I don't mean to impugn uh, union environments, but one, one thing I discovered at least working there at that plant was that if some particular duty wasn't in my job description per se, and, and when I sought to fix something or correct something that I saw was wrong, a more seasoned worker would come along and say, let it go, just let it go. It's not your responsibility, let it go. And, and it, it seemed like, and again, not to impugn all unions, but that environment, it seemed like the, the attitude there was, just do what is in your complete own self-interest. Anything else, don't worry about it, let it go. Well, in the previous section uh, before the one we read, Cain was presented with an option. He was presented with the option to do well and be accepted by God. That was after his, uh, his offering to the Lord was, was not accepted. And there's matters of the heart that are involved in that, a lack of faith ultimately on Cain's part. But, but he's presented with this option to do well and then be accepted by the Lord. Doing well is effectively summed up in trusting God, believing God, believing His Word, and, and resting in the good gifts that, that He has given. But as we get to this section, we, we see that He has chosen not to take the path that the Lord put before him. And as a result, he commits the first recorded murder. And when Cain is confronted by the Lord, he asks of the Lord, am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for him? Is what happens in Cain's life of any account to me? I'm interpolating, I guess you will. Does he really matter? What, what, is Cain, what is Abel to me? What is Abel to me? I think that question is worth pondering for each of us as we look at this text this morning. You see, if the answer is no, that is to say, am I my brother's keeper? And if the answer is no, that is the way of Cain, and we're going to see where that leads. Now, Cain, uh, as I've been saying, is an archetype. His, his rebellion against the Lord really is a pattern uh, that is repeated again and again and again throughout the, God, uh, throughout the, passage, uh, the pages of Scripture. And we, we see this, this way of Cain on display in our world every day, don't we? It is the, the attitude that rejects God and, and ultimately hates others. And if we're honest with ourselves, we, we see that the way of Cain is in each of us until God rescues us from our wanderings through Jesus. Now, as we move through this section, I've got four headings under which I want to gather some thoughts and hopefully make some application. And so this is kind of alliterated, at least the sound of them. The killing, the confrontation, the consequence, and the confession. The killing, the confrontation, the consequence, and the confession. First, the killing. I, I think we're hardened to this. It gets uh, reported so often in the news that we're almost unfazed now, aren't we? Uh, read this week a former NFL football player, Philip Adams. He murdered several people and then took his own life. A couple of teenage girls, they kill a man while stealing his car. I think it happened in the D.C. area. Another story I saw, one family member killed another over the government stimulus check. 
And we've seen this story repeated more times than we care. A shooter enters a mall, a school, a concert, and indiscriminately shoots and kills. And those, those are the sensational stories that we, that we read about. But there are over 15,000 cases of murder and manslaughter in this nation in 2019. And if we think about it, without a doubt, at this point in the day, we can be confident that somebody has already been murdered somewhere. Murder is the ultimate expression of hatred, and it all began with Cain. Now, he's jealous. He's jealous of Abel, and he's angry because the, his offering to the Lord was not acceptable. So the text tells us Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field. Now, I, I take it that what, what happened here is that this is not some like, oh, let's have a conversation, and he just sort of snapped. I take it that we're meant to be understanding about Cain, that he made a plan. Presumably, he drew him out to the field. Maybe in Cain's mind, he's going to a place where, oh, the Lord won't see here. I don't know. But there he rose up against his brother. So not only has Cain rebelled against the Lord in his heart, he has effectively decided, he's decided in his mind that his own brother does not matter to him. He has decided in his mind that Abel does not matter to anyone else. He has decided in his mind, indeed, that Abel does not even matter to God. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus clarified the law dealing with murder. He taught us there what is at the heart of it. I want to take you to Matthew 5. No need to turn. I'll read it. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 21, 22, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. It's clear. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Makes sense. And here's where Jesus adds his commentary and his interpretation, the true interpretation of the law. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. See, what Jesus was teaching there, that, that murder, murder is the outworking of a heart that is full of hatred, the complete lack of love. Now, understand this. Because of the intent of God's law, and when I speak of God's law, I'm, I'm speaking of the, the Ten Commandments, the, the summary ten uh, statements of law. Because of the intent of that law, I would say this, that murder is the complete embrace of ha hatred and the total repudiation or rejection of God's law. And so here's what I mean. The whole of the Ten Commandments really are about love. The first four, about loving God. The next six are about loving your neighbor. So I take it, according to Jesus' logic, that it is hate which is at the heart of murder. Hatred says someone else has no value, value to me. That's very personal. Hatred says that someone else has no value to someone else. Hatred says that someone else has no intrinsic value. That's what hatred is. 
So let's look at, just for a moment, the second table of the Ten Commandments. That's the, the, the last six. Let's look at it through the, through the lens of love or how it is, in, in transgressing that law, how it is hateful. When you do not honor your father and mother, now, they are your closest neighbors, really, or some of your closest neighbors. I know we don't think of mother and father's neighbor, but they're people close to us. They're people in our lives. They matter to us. If you do not honor your father and mother, we can conclude that there is a murderous intent. It's hateful. The second, or the, the seventh command, when you murder, obviously that's hateful. Eighth, it is hateful, hateful to commit adultery. It is hateful to your own spouse. It is hateful to the spouse of the one with whom you sinned. Now, we get this in the world. It's so often the excuse for adultery is love, right? But it's the opposite of love for all involved. There is absolutely no love in adultery. In fact, it's hateful and ultimately Somebody in that equation doesn't matter. Murderous intent. Stealing. It's a hateful thing to deprive another of something that is rightfully theirs. It says, you don't matter. Therefore, whatever stuff I decided to take for myself, it doesn't matter that you thought it was yours. It is hateful to bear a false witness. It is hateful to slander your neighbor. Further, it is hateful and a murderous heart to desire something that your neighbor has such that you receiving that thing would deprive them of it. So that's coveting. Coveting is the, the desire for something your neighbor has and that the thought experiment that you have with it is that it would be taken away from your neighbor and that you would possess it, whether that is his property or his wife. Viewed through the lens of love, we can see that, that transgressing God's law is ultimately boils down to hatred. Hatred of God, hatred of others. And hatred, according to Jesus, is what is at the heart of murder. And Cain embodies that in this setting. Now, the law was very clear. Uh, Leviticus 19, the law is very clear that, that you should resolve your differences with your neighbor because leaving a matter unresolved would allow that dispute to fester, right? Uh, Leviticus 19, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or, or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord, he says. Now, something that our, and we can all observe this, and we have observed this, something that our divisive culture has become very, very good at is hating. It, I would say it's the way of Cain magnified a thousandfold. But while we can look out in the culture, I, I think maybe you and I get caught up in that sometimes. Maybe somebody puts a label on you. They've declared their hatred of you because of your skin color or because you're a man or because you're a woman or of a different ethnicity or because you don't have the right 
political views. And hear me on this. This goes both ways. It is black, white, left, right. It goes both ways. So then feeling hated, feeling the, that you have become the object of derision, what's our response? Responding in kind. Maybe not with external actions, but a, but a hatred building up in your heart. I say this to you, brothers and sisters, because I know this feeling. I know this feeling, and I know the temptation. When you're hated, it is so easy to hate in response. You see, what the world teaches us is that when someone expresses their disregard for you by offense or hurt, the expected response is write them off. And in the language of the world, cancel. Now, as Christians, we are to take the opposite approach. We, we can't be like that. Why? This is what Jesus said. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, I don't know where people got the idea in Jewish practice that it was okay to hate your enemy, but let's set that aside. Jesus is responding to the, the way people interpreted the law in the day. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, it's in the law, and hate your enemy. But Jesus says this, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You see, if we respond in kind to hatred, we're no better than Cain, who murdered his brother. John, the apostle, in his first letter says this, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Earlier it says in that same chapter, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So let me ask you, have you murdered anyone lately? No, I know you didn't take a weapon and end their physical life. But have you hated in your heart? The warning here is not to go the way of Cain, not to let anything fester, not to find any reason at all when you're wronged. Forgive. Even if the other person isn't repentant, that's God's deal, not ours. Well, secondly, we have the confrontation, the confrontation. Uh, I, was, I was thinking about this, and uh, may, maybe some of you might identify with this weakness that I have. My wife will confirm it, but only if really pressed. Um, so here's how this goes. In a conversation, I am tempted with the need to be right, <laughs> to set the record straight, to vindicate my, myself or my ideas. And I have many opinions, often about things that I don't need to have an opinion about. 
Now, I think I control this impulse, but the ones who are closest to me see me at my weakest. And if I'm going to create conflict in my home, it is because of the things I say, my opinions. Nobody was asking, but I offered it anyway. Now, I, I say this not as something to be proud of, okay? It's certainly part of the old man in me that needs the grace of God to further eradicate it. But here's the fact. I don't need to be right all the time because of the glaring truth that I'm not right in what I think all the time. <laughs> I should get that. I do not need to always share my opinion. I, and here's the bottom line, I am not God. What I think about a myriad of topics does not matter. But, and I'm contrasting myself here, but for the only God, what He thinks, what He says, always, always matters because God is always right. And God's word about anything must be heeded. It must be cherished. It must be taken to heart. Now, why do I illustrate this way? God was, sorry, Cain, he was not in a, in a mood to listen to God, as we see. He thought he had a better way when the Lord told him in the previous section, sin's crouching at the door. You must rule over it. He ignored that warning. And so after he murdered his brother, the Lord confronted him. He says to him, where's Abel, your brother? Cain said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? I do not know. See, Cain here is so, so very blinded by his own rebellion, he can't even reason. The Lord who created everything, and there isn't anything outside his view, he didn't ask Cain for because of his own lack of knowledge. Huh, I wonder what happened to your brother. Haven't seen him in a while. Cain, you know anything? No. The Lord asked Cain to confront him, to confront his sin, to bring his judgment. God knows the secrets of the heart, it says in Psalm 44. See, Cain needed his own secrets, or what he thought were secrets, exposed to himself. He needed to be confronted. Now, this... This setting, this, this exchange sounds kind of familiar if you were tracking with us for, from the beginning of Genesis, chapter 3, when Adam and Eve took of the forbidden fruit, that, that beautiful tree is beautiful to behold. And they took it and ate. The Lord forbade it. God asked them the question. They were hiding. Where are you? What have you done? So why is it the Lord confronted Cain? Why did he confront him? Now, we might think, well, this is obvious. But I think there's two reasons here. Cain needed to know that God is always right. Cain needed to know that for his own sake. God is always right. What he says about anything needs to be heeded and cherished and taken to heart. You cannot thrive in God's world you cannot thrive in a relationship with him when you resist what is true. And God always defines what is true. In two different places in Proverbs, so important it's twice. It says this, Proverbs 14.22 is in one place. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. It seems right. 
God's word about something is what must be heeded. So Cain needed to understand that his own way, the way that isn't God's way, well, that leads to death. But the second reason is this, the reason that God confronted Cain. Justice matters. Justice matters. Now, this makes sense to us, doesn't it? We love justice. We want justice. If someone steals your property, you want it made right. If someone, you, you come out to your car in the parking lot, somebody smashed it in, you who did it? They need to pay. I, I shouldn't have to cover this. And if you've been the victim of some more heinous crime, you know what happens? You want justice, and, and maybe you've been in this setting. A loved one has been taken from you through murder. What do you do? You go to court, and you sit there, and you listen. Why? Why do you go through all of that? Because you want justice. Our society wants justice. They cry out for justice. And, and we saw a whole lot of unrest this last or summer, last summer because there was injustice. And, and there's, a, there's an instinct in all of us that, the, that we've got to make this right. And so where there's oppression and racial uh, discrimination, justice, yes. But the world sees it in a very unbalanced way, don't they? For the unborn, they're not. They're not anyone. Abuse of power, eh. Listen, we, we like justice, but the fact of the matter is we don't enjoy it landing on us. But justice matters to God. And he says to Cain, verse 10, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. The voice of your brother's blood. It's as if creation knows that it's been defiled. I know, at the risk of being hyperbolic here, it's as if the murder of Abel by Cain caused the earth to be shifted from its proper rotational axis. I know that didn't happen. It's like there's been this nasty, corrupting virus that was introduced into the earth, making it diseased. And when Abel's blood is spilled, it's as if the earth is crying out in agony and grief, and God hears it. This ought not to be. The earth cries out for justice. You see, for creation to be in harmony, to be at rest, it, need, it needs God to rightly judge. It needs God to, to bring the truth to bear in order to vindicate his own name. That was part of King David's um, song, this song of thanksgiving when he brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. In part of that song, he says, the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. The trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. The creation needs us. It's personified, I grant you that. It needs justice. It needs God's name to be vindicated, his word to be set right. When Abram was, was pleading for the sake of the righteous that, that may be in the city of Sodom, he rightly states, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. 
So God is the judge of all the earth, always, always does what is just. And while his judgment may, may be delayed, it will never be neglected. Hebrews 4.13 tells us, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Everything, every injustice, every sin, everything will be accounted for when God judges. Well, how will that happen? And that's my next heading. The consequence. We have the killing, we have the confrontation, and now the consequence. I think uh, Newton's third law of motion is probably obvious to most of us. Um, for every action you've heard, that there's an equal and opposite reaction. It's basic physics. Now, I didn't do well in physics, but I get this. Um, and, and these laws are simply derived, right, by, by observing creation. It's, it's how God designed things to work. So the, the force of a hammer hitting a nail is met by resistive force of the nail back to the hammer. If the nail did not exert a force, the hammer would not be stopped, right? We get that. It has to happen this way. That's how things work. Now, I was thinking about this. I think the same is true about moral laws. When there is a malevolent and evil force, when that is directed toward God, that is sin. And any sin against anyone is ultimately directed against God. And what God must do is he must respond to that sin with a force. And in moral terms, that force is justice. And we've talked about that. But this is how God brings it. So my point here is that every malevolent act, every sin must be met with justice. It's a core truth about the very nature and character of God. And like gravity and like Newton's laws of motion, God's moral law cannot be suspended. It cannot be set aside. God cannot say, well, it doesn't matter. It has to be that there is a response. Now, Cain sinned by murdering his brother. And by necessity, God responded. Now, to do otherwise would, would deny his own character. And so God gives Cain the response. Verses 11 and 12. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and wander on the earth. We'll talk about fugitive in a moment. But this, this response of the Lord, he says to Cain, you are cursed from the ground. He was he was a person who, who managed crops. That was his identity. That was his job in creation. But the Lord says to him, You'll, the, the ground will no longer yield to it, you its strength. So the thing that you knew to do, you're not going to do that any longer. That ground will not be tamed by you. You will not produce the crops that you need. And you'll ultimately be a fugitive. People will be chasing you down. You'll be a wanderer on the earth, meaning that there will be others looking for you to do you harm. That's the consequence. Now, this reminds us, perhaps, of what happened with Adam and Eve when they took the fruit, right? They were, they were banished from the garden in Eden. And Adam would find the ground cursed because of his sin. And for his sin, Cain was banished to wander east of Eden, away from the presence of the Lord, a place called the land of Nod. That word simply means 
wandering. So perhaps not even in a specific place. He would wander. Cursed to wander. What Cain experienced because of his sin is really the human condition. Sin of any kind. Hatred of God. A denial of his law is ultimately an affront to his, kid, to his good character. And each of us must hear the confrontation, the judgment of the Lord against our sin. It's bad news. And ultimately, we do not have the power to fix it. There's good news coming. But that is our natural human state. We are all like Cain. We are all like Cain wandering in our natural state, east of Eden, away from the presence of the Lord, wandering. Well, final, my final heading here is the confession. Now, we get this. Uh, when a relationship is broken, it's usually because of sin. Someone sins against another. And for that relationship to be restored, there needs to be an acknowledgement of the thing done. When I'm insensitive to my wife, I need to acknowledge it, own it. I said that, shared my opinion. That was stupid. <laughs> Kathy's nodding. <laughs> if there's no confession, it's, it, the relationship, there's always going to be that that thing between us. Well, verses 13 and 14, Cain responds to the Lord. Now, I used the word confession, and you may question it, but let me explain. Verses 13 and 14, Cain says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. My punishment. And that word, punishment, avon, it's, um, your Bible might have a little bit of a footnote there. That word could be translated perversity, depravity, iniquity, guilt. So the question I think that we've got to ask about the text is, is Cain complaining or is he confessing? So let's look at why he may be confessing. Was this Cain's confession? So my he says, my iniquity, it's weighing heavily on me. It's more than I can bear. My sin, I'm overwhelmed by my sin. And I'm paraphrasing. So did he have a repentant heart? Well, look at verse 14. I, I, I see two reasons in Cain's response and one reason in the Lord's response to him that this might be repentance. This might be a, a true confession. Verse 14, he says, Cain says back to the Lord, Behold, you have driven me away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. See here, Cain is repeating back to the Lord what is his punishment, the very thing that he had heard from the Lord. He is acknowledging the truth. He says, I'll be driven away from the ground, away from the face of the Lord. He's lamenting, I'm going to lose your presence, Lord. There'll be a fugitive and a wanderer. Then he adds, now this might be 
wrapped up in the word fugitive, but not necessary. He adds, whoever finds me will kill me. Where did that idea come from? Now, of course, there's the who, whoever is presumably other sons and daughters of Adam. We won't deal with that this morning. But we could presume that it was understood by all that God's, according to God's law, that his justice was to be carried out by others. Murder. So this is what the Lord tells Noah, Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. And the reason God made man in his own image. You, you shed the blood of the image bearer of God by man, your blood will be shed. You will pay for your life with the taking of a life. But what happens? And this is the third reason why I think it might be a confession. The Lord shows Cain mercy. He shows him mercy. Mercy to protect him from others carrying out the Lord's justice. It's as if the Lord says, yeah, you're going to wander. The ground's going to be tough for you. But you won't be killed. I'm not going to let it happen. The Lord said, not so. If anyone kills Cain, then God's vengeance will come. And vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And so what did the Lord do? He put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. There's the mark. No, he's protected. The Lord has shown him mercy. And, and isn't this in keeping with the very nature and character of God as, as the Lord revealed his, his name to Moses, his divine name. He describes himself, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will no, by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Justice and mercy. In this case, God shows Cain mercy. Now, on the other hand, we could say that because the New Testament cites Cain as an example of rebellion and not of repentance, we, that might be a reason to consider this confession was, was maybe self-serving. But listen, we don't need to solve it here this morning. <laughs> Again, the, the story of Cain is, is a cautionary tale. His rebellious acts are repeated again and again and again throughout the Pentateuch and all of the Scripture. Lamech, his, his son. The entirety of Cain's line leading to the flood. Noah's son, Ham. Canaan comes from him. Acts of rebellion. Esau, rebellious. The sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. The Israelites who ultimately refused to take the land and wandered in the wilderness. And the, the list goes on and on and on. To us. We're far more like Cain than we'd want to admit, I think. We have disregarded our brothers. We have not loved our enemies. And by our actions, by our actions, we have repudiated God's good laws. And what is required of us is confession. Romans 3.23, this is the judgment. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. None of us have escaped this. But here's the good news. Regardless of the depth of your depravity, if you truly repent, that is to say, if you turn away from your sin, it leads to salvation. 2 Corinthians 10, godly grief 
produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. If we, if we just sit and contemplate all of the ways that we have transgressed God's laws, it's a mountain of regret. But godly grief over that sin produces repentance, a turning away that leads to salvation where there's no regret. Worldly grief, that produces death. Now, whether or not Cain repented of his sin, we can be sure of this. The option to repent is available to each of us. Whatever you have done, what, whatever path you have taken, whether that is obvious to all around you or whether it's just the ugliness in your heart, the bitterness and the rage and the hatred, repent of it. And you will find salvation. But here, hear this. Our repentance is acceptable to God. Listen, not on the strength of our remorse. Hear this. Our repentance is acceptable to God, not on the strength of our remorse. God is not pleased with groveling. He's not looking for some kind of self-flagellation to prove how sorry we are. No. Here's what true repentance is. It is a response of faith. It is looking to Jesus. Like Cain, we have been wandering in our natural state. We have wandered away from the presence of the Lord. We are living in Nod. And it is the consequence of our murderous hearts. That's our natural state. But listen, God in his mercy, God sent his son to find us in our wanderings. He has come to us in the land of Nod. For us, the Son of God experienced in his own body the consequence of our wanderings. For our sin, he was driven away from the presence of the Lord. Jesus himself, he chose to be forsaken. He chose to be put outside the camp like, like the unclean, like the leper, like the mutilated, like it says in Hebrews 13 that Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify, that is set apart the people through his own blood. So what do we do? Hebrews 13, 13, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp. Let us go to him outside the camp. Outside the camp where he was forced outside the city walls, where he was nailed to a beam of wood. The darkness fell over him and Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There, alone on that cross, Jesus fully experienced the consequence of our rebellion and he bore in his own body the punishment that we deserved. So if you have not, if you have not done so, go to him. Go to him. Go to Christ.
I was reminded of the song by Chris Tomlin. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. When you look to Christ in faith, you you throw off Cain's curse. You receive new life in the Spirit who breathes into us the very life of God who is love. That's what happens. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 5, 5, this happens because of Christ. This happens because we have trusted him. This happens because, well, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We're so much like Cain. We're haters. In a natural state, we hate God. We hate his laws. We hate our brothers. We hate. We might, we might behave in ways that look socially responsible and, and work in community. We can get along. But the word of God confronts us in our hearts. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have nothing in us, nothing in us that, that is commendable to God. There is not enough love in us. But because of Christ, when we look to him in faith, we get breathed into us something that we never had on our own, the very love of God. And so for all to who look to Christ in faith, the Lord gives us the gift of his own presence. He gives us the gift of others like this who have likewise been rescued from, from their, their own wanderings. And, and he, he then, through Christ, gives us the means, that is to say, the power to do what Cain refused to do. Love. Love. And the truth that Cain tried to escape, we now embrace. You and I, because we're in Christ, we are our brother's keepers. We are responsible for each other. And it's not because we try hard, though try we must. It's not because we're worthy. No, Christ is worthy for us. It is all of God's grace. And because of his grace, we can and we must live in such a way as to give genuine evidence that we belong to Jesus. My final word. Jesus said this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. Though we were wandering, you found us. And God, you sent your son to take the consequence of our wanderings, our rebellion, our very Cain-like hearts. And you poured your love into us by your spirit. And so, Abba, Father, we say thank you. Thank you for rescuing us. God, teach us to live each day, each moment, in the knowledge of what has been accomplished for us. 
And when we're tempted to hate, remind us of the immensity of your love. And we pray, keep us for that day, Father, when the Lord Jesus will return. When we will see perfectly. When the dim glass is taken away. When we see and know as we have been known. Hold us for that day. For the glory of Jesus. Amen.